So Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And um, the, the season of the ministry is kind of changing. You have Jesus' public ministry and, and the popularity, and, and now he kind of starts shifting the ministry from him and, and to the 12 disciples more. And you're going to see a, him spending a lot more time with his, his disciples as the months come up and, and towards the end here. And, you know, you, you kind of are looking at, at Scripture and you go through and it's, it's like one story kind of thrown in the middle here. It's kind of like, how, how do these things go together? And, and the Holy Spirit opens things up as we study. And, and really, um, uh, you know, it's kind of like a comparison here of the difference between a Christian and religion or a relationship and religion. Or, you know, and, and you think of all these uh, the terms, I guess, that have, have been put out there over the generations, a Christian. Well, we can't just say Christian anymore because that word's been hijacked. If I say I'm a Christian, people go, well, that, you know, a lot of people call themselves, that really is lacked meaning. That word's been, if you would, kind of hijacked, right? And then, and, and you know, well, I'm kind of, you know, and, and you see, you know, very much I see, start to see in the generation in church, they're trying to come up with new terms to explain what were terms that were accepted for years. Now we're not, you know, just Christian, but I'm on a mission. You know, I'm kind of, you know, like I have a purpose to my life. I'm, I'm a real Christian or, or I'm a born-again Christian or, you know, and, and you see these, sadly, these terms change. And no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a religious person. I believe in a relationship. And, and it's kind of interesting how, how you see this change because I believe uh, very clearly when you look at church history, it kind of goes through seasons. The church where there is a group of people on fire, God uses it, it grows, and then it becomes something else. It becomes from the work of the Holy Spirit, empowered by God, to, to, to men trying to control it and, and make it a work of men, quantify it, put it into a movement, then it becomes a machine, and then it's said to become a monument. You know, and I think when you, know, you hear of people who have gone overseas to Europe and they have these great cathedrals and these great men and this movement and it's died and now you have these huge dead buildings that are left empty. You know, and it, it makes you wonder when you look at our day and age, what's changing, what's going on, where are we at, if you would, in that cycle. And I believe the scripture this morning kind of pulls some of these things out. Look with me at verse 1. It says, And then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Then he sent them out preaching the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So Jesus is there and he sends the twelve out. He had many disciples. How, we don't know how many were following him around call him teacher, but we saw Jesus call these 12 men, set them aside, and, and, and we see it again here. He calls this group of 12, he, his disciples together. And, and really the term, you know, disciple, or um, they, we'll see him later after they come back, he calls them apostles, which is messengers, because they went out and they were messengers, and now they're from disciples to messengers. Why? Because of what they're doing. And, and when you look at titles, even in the church, you know, people go, well, you know, well, I, I feel called to be, uh, you know, deacon. Well, are you doing the work of a deacon? 
you know, it's really recognizing what somebody's doing already, you know what I mean? If, if the person's after church cleaning up chairs and stuff and go, yeah, they're kind of serving as a deacon or, or they're serving as a, you know, elder and they got gray hair, I don't know. But, you, you know, you look at how people are serving, you know, and, and very much here it's like, you know, when, when we sat down and we talk in, 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 in this fellowship and, and Calvary's in general, you talk about ordination, it's simply recognizing what God's already done in somebody's life. You know, look, well, that person's acting like a shepherd. Well, they're a pastor. Oh, look at how that person's serving. And, and when you just recognize simply what God is doing in that person's life and what God's done in that person's life. And so when it's his 12 disciples, it wasn't like there was this special thing. That's who they were. That's what they were doing. They were being Jesus' disciple. He didn't like put a label on them and now you can be a disciple. No, they were disciples and so therefore he called them disciples. They went out and they were sharing the message of the good news and, and, and working in that way. And so God, when they come back, God calls them apostles because they were doing, they were spreading news. They were messengers of the good news. And it's interesting, he called them. And it's very important. We see, we see kind of three key things to ministry here. Okay, well, more four, right? He's, he's, he's called them. They are disciples first and foremost. They are disciples of Christ. And not necessarily for a long time, but they are disciples of Jesus. And he calls them, and he gave them power and authority. And he sends them out. And, you know, it's important to know your calling, how God's calling you. There are many times we can want to do good things and, and, and really, you know, things that seem that would be awesome to do for the Lord. But what has God called you to do? And when he calls you to do something, he's going to give you the power, the dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, same, same word talked about in Acts when he said, hold on and wait before you go out. The power the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you on the day of Pentecost that did. And, and that word power and, and authority. And it's, it's, it's one of those things you can sit there. There's a lot of good things you can be involved with, a lot of good ministries and stuff. But what is God calling you to do? And, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, there's, you know, we're really much our, my desire... Um, just when, even when things were changed around. I, I love Micaiah's heart, and since he's not in here, I'm going to talk about him. So <laughs> he was out, you know, after chain, things transitioning with Pat, he just comes up and he goes, man, whatever you need, just let me know, I'll do it. And I said, good, I need you to seek God and do whatever he's telling you to do. And he was relieved, kind of like, yeah. I, I mean, and that's the same thing for anyone. And people, you know, I, I love your guys' heart. You know, you know, Tim, let me know. I'll, I got your back if you need help and all this. And truly, we just need to seek God and do what he's calling. He has the perfect family here, the perfect body of Christ for what he desires and how he desires to work. And we're not all the same part. There's different giftings, you know. And, and you look at those things and, and, and I just, you know, it's amazing. Just what is your calling? How is God calling you? Be confident in that. And sometimes it comes really important because the trials come and you go, God, should I be in the middle of this? You know, the, the beautiful thing about here for me and being a part of a Calvary and, and uh, being blessed to be part of this style of ministry is I didn't sit down and go to school to get a degree where I had to, you know, oh, I went, I went to seminary. Now I need to be a pastor because that's what I went to school in. I mean, I paid for schooling and no, it was a clear calling from God. 
when I sat down and me and Pat talked and we're talking there and he goes, you sure you're called to be a senior pastor? Of course, I didn't think it was going to be so quick. I said, yeah, I'm sure God's calling me. And then God confirmed it with him. You know, he starts tearing up and it's like, what? He goes, I'm supposed to transition out, not you. That's not me deciding, hey, I need to do this position or something. It's God prompting, it's God leading. And it's a, there's a huge piece in that. I mean, this wasn't my plan. You know what I mean? It's God's plan. And knowing, hey, if he's called me, he's going to give me the power. There's, yes, I need to be a disciple and continue to follow to him, but there's power in that. There, I, I know it can go out with power and with authority. You know, and, and sadly, we don't see it often. In verse 2, he continues right there. He says, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. You know, he, you know earlier it says, by the way, just point out all demons, not some. Gave him authority over all, you know? And, and it's interesting, all demons, but yet you see the diseases are separate there. So, you know, some people get into, well, you know, it's this disease, or you've got to cast out the demon of this disease or that. Well, these are two separate things very clearly. And it also, in the Greek, is very clearly, it's all demons, but not all cure all diseases. He sent them out to do it, but not all of them. And many times you see Jesus not curing everybody in a situation. But you see, they were sent out to preach the kingdom of God. And that's what the gospel is. They're preaching, hey, the Messiah's here, he's coming, the kingdom's coming. We can preach the kingdom came, the Messiah came, he paid for your sin, and the kingdom is coming. How many people, you know, we kind of have shied away from that, you know. I, I think a lot in the 80s, it seemed like everybody was jumping the ends near. You know, it's 40 years after Jerusalem, the, you know, rapture's going to happen. You always say, I don't know, it seemed like I was always as a child hearing about the rapture's coming, you know, be ready, you know. And I don't think there's too many movies coming out, you know, as far as the rapture and stuff maybe, but it's coming. God's kingdom's coming. His time's coming, and if, and if we don't all get there, you might beat us there. It's coming for all of us at a time. And they're preaching that. His kingdom's now. The Savior's here. And they went out and they healed sick, the sick, willing to pray, preaching and healing the sick. And this word sick isn't just physical ailments. This word has the meaning of physically sick, mentally sick, and as they would see a gut broken, because, you know, or bowels. You know, they didn't, we refer everything to this organ called the heart. Oh, I have a broken heart. They'd say, no, my gut aches, you know. You ever been upset about something and you, you, you know, something's going on? Do you feel like your heart can't beat? Well, you might feel winded or something. Generally, you feel like, I don't want to eat. Well, that's what they'd say, my bowels, you know. I love you from my deepest bowels. But, you know, that's, the, you know, culturally we've changed it to this other organ, which is just as slimy and gross when you look at it in reality. So, but, you know, you look at it to heal, heal, heal those things. So it's not just healing those things, but those physical things. And how does those things happen? How does that healing begin? It begins with the preaching of the gospel. It begins with the good news. It begins with the word of God very much. And, as he continues, he gives them very clear directions on this ministry, this first mission trip, if you would. In verse 3 it says, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics, or two tunic pieces. 
a piece. So he's like, hey, bring just what you need, the basics, right? Kind of travel light. And, and more, it was an attitude. When people would go into the temple of that day, you didn't come to the temple fully packed in that sense. You went with, I'm just going to the temple. You know, I, I, you know if you plan, you're, you're planning to go on a trip and your purpose is for one thing, you only bring what you need for that trip. If you're going to church, you guys aren't, there's things you're not bringing, you know. Um, you might leave the extra credit card you would take shopping with you at home or something. I don't, you know, there, there's certain things you're planning for where you go. And so in that day, it was common when people were going to the temple. You don't need your staff. You don't need all this extra stuff on you. You're not, you don't have a car to leave it in, you know. You need to travel light. You have one purpose. You're not going to be distracted. That's where you're going. And so it was an attitude of, hey, you're going out with this simple purpose. And at the same time, God was wanting them to be reliant on him. Your needs are going to be met. You don't, you don't need this other stuff. That's, that's you know, how much money you need and all this. And, and there's definitely trusting God in his provision as he guides, you know. Um, one of the things I love that Chuck always said is where God guides, he provides. You know, Rich Chafin's telling a story about how he was a, a janitor there, you know. And he's there a couple months. He did, he's not mechanical. He doesn't know how to fix anything. But thank God there's a guy when he got hired on that was. So he would fix stuff, and he'd just sweep around and clean up and keep the area clean. And then that guy uh, had to step down. He hurt his back or something, so he was leaving the ministry. And so Rich goes, man, I'm tripping out. I don't know how to change a light bulb. In four months, I should have been paying attention to something, right? And, and, and you know, and assistant pastor comes up to him and says, hey, you're the man now. So if it needs fixed, you fix it. If it needs clean, you clean it. And if it's gross, clean you know, just keep it running. You know, that's your job. And so he's sitting there, and he, he sees Chuck. He goes over to him and goes, man, i I, I got to tell you, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't I have any of these skills and this and this. And Chuck goes, oh, let me pray for you, bro. Prays for him, you know. Dear God, you have this young man here. You've put in this position where you guide, provide what he needs to do the job. And takes off. You know, I'm like, thanks. No official training or nothing. God just said, you know, trust God. God's got you here. He's going to provide what you need, you know. Just don't start with electrical or something. I don't know, you know. <laughs> That's a hard learning curve, no. But um, so you look at these things. Where God guides, he provides. What a, what a simple, simple concept. What a simple truth. But many times it's so hard for us to understand or, or to be okay with, you know. Or we argue about how much provision sometimes, you know. And... In verse 4, it says, Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out from that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. What a simple thing, okay? Where did you go out? Look for open doors to do ministry. Somebody opens the door, that's where you're supposed to minister. Where somebody closes the door, don't try prying it open, just head out and and even to shake the dust off their shoes it was something the jews were common with doing when they went to a gentile city is like we really don't want to have anything to do with you we don't even want your dust on us let's go so just you know if they're done with you don't 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 even fret it don't don't even carry any of that dust or debris with you you know and i think as we go out and share the gospel with the e everybody's always so scared of some of these things and and you run into people and they're not open okay you're not open can i pray for you no Okay, well, have a nice day. You know, I'm not going to push and pry a door, you know. Or, you're not open, you're not open, you know. If I have to sell you on the gospel, then somebody can sell you on something else later. I mean, 
you know, how many people get one to Christ because, you know, God really got me in a theological, you know, twist here. I was, had my theology down and how I was doing this and this, and he came along and, you know, the evidence is just overwhelming. Darn it, I have to be a Christian. No, that's not the way God does it. You know, even look at the Lee Strobel movie or his book, right? He comes across evidence. The evidence is clear. He still had to wrestle with his heart and God for over two years when he proved to himself the truth. He knew it was true for two years, but no, his heart wasn't there. God had to work on that. You know, and you, you look at those things. And simple directions, right? And clear directions for this ministry in this time. You know, it, there, there's... Um, not every time God says to go out and leave everything. You know, this isn't the, the method for ministry. You know, if you're going to be a missionary, you've got to leave all your stuff behind. Go out with no provisions. Because later in Luke, guess what he says? You're going out, and you know what? You better take two swords with you, just not one. Okay? The method to ministry is obey what Jesus is calling you to do and how he's calling you to do it. And guess what? God speaks clearly in, in areas where it needs to be specific for things. Different ministries, oh, yeah, you need to do this, and that's not going to be helpful. You know, there's, there's times we've sat down and go, okay, God, you're calling to this, but I don't have any of the equipment or what I think I need to do that, and God tells you to go anyways, and you realize you didn't need all that other stuff. You know, um, I've shared it before, you know, me and Heidi with our home, we, we had a heart when One of the main things, and, and, and men, if you are not married in here, um, there's a young man I'm wor working with currently, and you, you're desiring to be married in a relationship, know what your calling is. How are you supposed to go up to a godly woman and say, hey, do you want to marry me? I don't know where I'm going and how God's calling me. And God's called you to, do you think you're called to be my helpmate when I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going? Okay. Know your calling so she can be a helpmate. You know, if you're called to Africa and she's not, that could be a problem for your marriage. And it's kind of funny in a thing to think about, but no, you see it. You see families where it's hard, where people are married and, and their hearts aren't aligned with what God's called them. But me and Heidi, when we were young, one of the main things which somebody, probably my mother and a whole bunch of pastors, but I heard it more from my mother, gave me that kind of counsel. And so one of the main things with me and Heidi, we had the same calling, we had the same heart. Man, we wanted to help kids out, we wanted to do this. You know, and, and we even, there was a building out in the desert in Lucerne near the dump, this awesome building. It was built to be a rehab center and left. It never got finished. My dad looked at it, and it ended up just, uh, eventually I think it burned. You know, ended up owned and, and never anything done with it. But it was all the way out there. It was gorgeous, you know, just awesome facility it could be, you know, and the potential. But, you know, and so that was our thought. That's what you need, right? Not our little house. You know, and then you realize that a bigger house, a facility, would have took away from what God was doing. That's not what God had planned. That's not what he needed to do that ministry. And to slow down and go, we sh you know, I, I can't help but think, what if we would have just obeyed in these areas earlier? Now, I, God worked it all for good, he, you know, all the growth and things that needed to happen before then. But, you know, could we have delayed what he was doing? Because, oh, we thought we needed all this stuff. And he's just saying, no, I just want you to go out with the little you have. It's all you need. I'll give you everything you need. And he has, provision-wise. Opening my own company, that was the scariest thing, you know? And it was like this time of year, busy, how much do I do this? Do I go do the EE on Saturday? Do I go work on the trailer? I mean, got all these things. Lord, what should I do work-wise? I got work lined up for two weeks. We'll be good. I'm going to have time. We figure out the trailer, you know. We're going to go, yes, it'll be good to invest in this. 
By the time I got home last night, the two weeks of work I had, I guess I temporarily fixed the roof well enough because they don't want me to come anymore. <laughs> okay, Lord, maybe, you know. But he'll provide. He'll provide. He's going to provide. He's always been faithful providing. And Tim, stop worrying about things that just don't matter, you know. And, and you sit down and those things come and those trials come. And, and what's amazing in verse 6, it says, And so they departed and they went out through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They did it. That's amazing to me. At first, I almost think, man, these guys, I know they're just apostles. I know they're, God's just sending fishermen, tax collectors, a Jesuit. You know what a Jesuit? This guy wanted to, he's a terrorist. He wants to overthrow the Roman government. I mean, the guy's got knives hidden on him. I mean, he's just, okay, burly group of people with a tax collector. You put those two together alone, you're going to send them out. Who are, you, who are you sending out? How are you, you know? And you're going to send these guys out? You know? And they did it. You know, and I'm like, man, okay, you know, when God tells me something, I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down, Lord. Okay, you know, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I know about how I am. You know, I wouldn't act this way, I don't think, at first. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, okay, Lord, you want me to go out? Question, how are we going to eat? Uh, can I get another question? Um, where are we going to stay the night? Where are we going to, you know, how are all these things going to work out, you know? And, and um, there's definitely wisdom to planning some things, you know, talking about going up to uh, uh, Orville and Bob Scott and helping out. We want to be self-reliant as I'm talking to him. We don't want to go up there and be a burden. His biggest thing is people want to come help. He doesn't have somewhere to put them, sleep or anything. They got to come up self-reliant and even bathrooms and stuff. You know, he goes, all these people want to come up and they're coming up and they want to help and stuff. And, and they awesome heart and he loves it, but they're working him to death. You know, he's trying to figure out how to accommodate, you know, and instead of just, you know, and it's like, man, our heart is, we go up there, we're going to be, we just want to be totally available and, and not a burden at all. You know, we need to be self-reliant and, and plan those things well. But, you know, and there's planning for that because I don't want to, you know, when you look at those things and how is God calling us that way? But, you know, you go, how long are we going? How long were these guys gone? Were they gone one week, two weeks, three months? You know, it doesn't give us a, time people some people go yeah well they were definitely gone more than a month if they went through all these towns preaching and and, and kind of through the areas like Jesus was going and and I think they went so easily and and we don't really see much question or any questioning or them questioning it because of one thing they weren't superhuman they weren't have a, a greater faith or anything else but one thing is why they were able to go out without question, and, and go out with nothing and follow this. It's because they were disciples. You know what that meant? They followed Jesus. And Jesus gave them that example repeatedly as he went out. Jesus never had any money on him. We know he doesn't have any money on him. When he needed money, he says, go catch a fish. There's money in that mouth, you know. Talks about Caesar and Denarius. He goes, he's got to ask somebody for what's less than, in our culture, a penny. How did he go out? Because Jesus went out like this all the time. All I'm telling you to do is do what I've done. You know, and, and, and sadly, yeah, not, you know, seminaries have their place. But that's not the way you're going to learn ministry. You learn ministry in the church by doing ministry. How, how are you discipled? By being part of the body of Christ and being a disciple. Following Jesus. Praying, seeking him. Following men that are following Jesus that can encourage you in that way. It's, it's amazing, and that's where I don't think there was any question about it is because they had this very clear example. 
Jesus didn't sit down and give them a class on missions. And this is how you're going to go out. And you need. It wasn't a, a book study. It was, we've done this again and again. We go out, he does this, and he prays, and these things happen. And he's given us his power and authority to do these things. There's examples. You know, and, and very much when, when God leads us, he calls us, and he empowers us. We can be an example to others. Well, how did you do that? Oh, I'm obeying what God did. You know, and, and the scary thing is if you ever get to the point and you somehow think somehow you did it and go, well, no, the way you got to do ministry is exactly how I did it because you can see what God did here. So you got to do, no. But they try to do that. Men try to do it. You cannot, you cannot do the work of God in the way men do. You know, if, you're, if you need a roof, you need a, if you don't know it, you get a roofer. If I'm building a house, I can hang trowel. I cannot mud. I didn't play with Play-Doh as a kid. I played with Legos. I can cut and paste. But when it comes to getting that flat, oh, I tried. I've, I tried hard. I tried enough in my bathroom. We had it on thick enough to where I gave up and I just took a broom and went like this and made like streaks in the, putty, the mud. So it was real rust. It looked really good. I was like, ooh. People go, wow, that's cool. I was like, yeah, that was a big mistake. That turned out nice. I, you know, and that took me four days to do. That's why I got a guy who knew what he was doing, man. He busted the rest of my house out smooth that we had done ready for him in like four hours. I'm like, I, don't, I can't do that sculpting thing, you know? Too many Legos, not enough Play-Doh or something. I just not built that way. I know it. So if you need to do a job, well, you get somebody that can do that job. If you're going to do the work of God, don't go to men. You know, you see these seminars on how to give good talks to teens and how to be effective, and you spend all these money to go to these... You know, things, the flyers come in the mail. You wouldn't believe all the flyers that come in the mail for stuff from, you know, magical prayer rugs. If you pray on it, you get a double blessing to, you know, the, the method for this. And, you know, none of these things are free. It's kind of weird, you know. They can talk to you about how to be prosperous in ministry and don't need any money anymore. If you just send me $800, I'm <laughs> well, shoot, if I got people sending me $800, I wouldn't have to worry about, no, I mean, it's just a kick, right? And, and people do it, though, and the world tries it. They try to do the work of God. They try to counsel people with, with what? Oh, Freud, Freud, yeah, Freud is very biblical, right? We got to look at Freud, and we got to go psychology, and we got, oh, let's look at the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? How, that's, that's the only source. If you're going to do the work of God, you need to go to the source. You need to have the power from God. And if you don't have the power from God, what happens is what? You burn out, you get tired, you get... You can only do so much in your own strength. You'll find out very quickly. You know, I... I um, you know, I've... I, I, godly loving people, and they love us dearly, and, and, and for... Oh, seven years now I've been told, Tim, you got to be careful. You guys are going to burn out. You're doing too much. You're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. And I will burn out if I start doing what God hasn't called me to do. And there's areas I do burn out when God, I'm doing something God hasn't called me to do. But if I'm doing what God's called me to do, even though it might seem like a lot, I'm not going to get burned out. Do you realize, I don't, I don't think you realize it, it, you know, sometimes you look at ministry and you look at it and you go, man, this is... You know, we're a smaller family than it has been in the past here and stuff. And you kind of look and go, man, I don't know if a, 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 um, starting this way or a new plant would be harder or easier, you know, the changes and stuff. And, you know, people come in, if this was a new church, it might be more exciting than if you come in, you go, oh, you've been here 10 years and this is everybody that's here, you know. <laughs> and then you try to explain that. Well, actually, no. But you, you look at those things and you go, okay, was, what, what's going on, Lord, here? 
And, and sometimes it can be discouraging going, you know, and I don't have a problem. You know, people go, you know, God adds and subtracts. It's up to him. Okay, well, I'm going to check my personal holiness. I want to, God, I want to make sure I'm safe. It's nothing, hold, you're holding back something for that. I want to be safe for the people there. You know, is there something as a fellowship we're not doing? You know, and I was praying about those things. I've opened God, speak to me, tell me. And then we're in a situation where people that you would look up to in ministry, people that oversee ministries where their title is the vice president of North America in their organization. And you see them across from you, are like, oh, well, it'd be cool to talk to them and, you know, this. And you, you hear all the things they've done and they planted this church and that church. And, you know what I mean? All the things God's done in his life. And you go, wow, that, that's impressive how God's used this person, you know? And, you know, so I go over there and they're like, oh, you're Calvary Chapel Manteca. Yeah? I've heard about you guys. Talk about encouraging. Why have you heard about us? Oops. I've heard about Tony. <laughs> Tony hasn't had a reputation in EE. Me and him have somehow got brought up at some national convention. Why? Are we doing that really that different of a thing? Because what? Because we, okay, Robert came to our house. I get, but how's that uncommon? It's sad. It's sad that really some basic things, it's sad that the things this fellowship gets involved with are that uncommon, really? It's encouraging to know. Praise the Lord. Okay, so what? What that tells me is we're doing things in the power of God and how he's directing us. And let's continue to do those things that way. You know, Tony's out not out sharing the gospel in his own strength. Just look at him. He's doing it with a smile. If, you're right, if you had to do it, how many, how many of those good elders that come to your door really have a joyful smile on they don't seem like, woohoo, I'm so glad I get to talk to you. Not like Tony, at least, right? Okay. I know, I need to smile more when I go out, but I try to be like Tony in that way. No, but it's amazing to see these things, and it's encouraging. That was really encouraging. It's it, it just like, it's like you don't even know what you guys are excited about, you know? I just, it's, it's a kick. I get a, I don't know, it just blows me away how God's working and in those things. And so we have this power we have these things and, and, and what's sad though with that is when you look at it when people do go out they go out without a calling they go to try to do a good work of God without his direction and since they're not called there's no power there's no authority or they go out with a calling but they don't rely on his power they're not patient for the timing of that calling and they go out and, and it falls short it, you know it, it, they get burned out and if anything, you know, sometimes it seems like they're dredging doing the ministry they're called to. Or they go out with a calling and power, but then they don't act like they have any authority. Like God's given them authority. Okay, and help. let's just do a quick example of this. Okay, so you guys believe against gay marriage? Well, you know, uh, oh, uh, ooh. well, the Bible kind of says, no. Yes, the Bible preaches that that's wrong. That kind of relationship's wrong and sinful. A lot of things are wrong and sinful. Come get to know the God that loves him. He'll deal with you on that. I'm not going to condemn you. God loves sinner. That's the amazing thing is, yes, you're a sinner and God loves you. I'm not going to, you know, oh, well, you know, we're going to allow it in our church. I don't, you know, I don't, you know, it was kind of more of a cultural suggestion at the time. No, it isn't. 
We have the word of God. It's clear. Speak with authority. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. I mean, you look at Paul, locked in chains. He wasn't making excuses for the gospel. How many churches out there have now taken the word of God and go, hey, we're going we're gonna to soften that. We, 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 well, we're not the authority. We're, we're a good suggestion. You know, this would be a good way to live. You know, you know, it might be helpful in your life if you have a little Jesus and, you know, these principles. They're not the truth, the principle, the word of God. It's not, you know, you, you look at those things or, you know, and the authority. And, and some come out with all kinds of power, all, all into the Holy Spirit. Yes, we're going to be led by the Spirit and everything else. But they still don't refer the authority, the word of God. They're not referring to it. They're not rooted in it. They're not versed in it. You know, there's a balance there, and you see all three of these things coming together and how important those things are, and it, it, it's hard to see. I, I, you know, you think of the way disciples are created, and we're called to go forth and make disciples, and, and I think we're in a time when that isn't happening anymore. The majority of churches aren't creating disciples. You know why? Because even if they're sending them to cemetery, that's not the way God biblically designed disciples to be raised. They designed to be raised in the church and being disciples. Most pastors aren't disciples. They weren't disciples themselves. They went to school and they got a degree and they do not disciple. How does, why? How do, you become, how do you disciple somebody? First, you need to be a disciple. You need to be an example of those things. Example of what? I got a degree, I got a good job, I make a good living, I'm here on, I mean, it's sad. It, it is really sad, and, and, and really, as I'm going through this, God was just turning my heart. Man, it is time for us to wake up. I think we're in a, we're in a place where it's becoming from even a, a movement to a, to a machine, to, you know, this machine's even breaking apart. This generation of kids out there, you're not going to compete with your Drumbotron against their device. You know, you can use media, those things are awesome, but you're not going to compete. That's not discipleship. Discipleship isn't a YouTube channel or, or a Twitter page or any of that. It's going to be lived. It's going to be real. they got to see it. And, and, I've, and I've heard it several times. People, you know, kids raised in the church going, I don't see any real Christians. Or I see a couple real Christians. You see them over there? They're doing That's real. People in this church have been being accused of real Christians, by the way, by young youth in this church that have come and gone and have sat and looked at things and go, well, I see a difference. Praise the Lord. People see a difference. I see that and I see that and something's different. That's cool. That's awesome because that's what we need to be. We need to be examples. We need to be being discipled by God and discipling others. And we have this example, this warning, if you would. It's kind of odd when it sticks through and you read the whole chapter, this, this section in verse 7 here on Herod. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of what was done by him, Jesus, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had raised from the dead and others that Elisha had appeared and others said one of the old prophets has been raised again. And Herod said, John I have beheaded, but who is this from whom I hear such things? So he sought out to see him. So here you have Herod, okay? Now his dad, okay, Herod the Great, okay, killed all the babies in Bethlehem trying to get rid of him. Twisted man. Now you have one of his sons, Tetra. Less power, it was kind of divided up into three groups. 
This guy was still twisted. He was currently had his brother's wife. That was not divorced. That was not finished. This man is living with his brother's wife. John the Baptist was preaching out against it. Okay? So he has him locked up. Even when he's locked up, Herod goes sees John and preach in jail, prison. Goes listen to him. Night comes along. He's partying, has a party, getting drunk. His wife's daughter comes in, dances for him. He's so smart, he decides, hey, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. She says, we just want John the Baptist's head on a plate, so he does it. And that probably, obviously here, said, John the Baptist, scary, right? It's still, his, his mess up here lives with it. What's amazing is, this guy is a religious guy. He's devout. You know, what do you mean? Well, he was known for being wicked and stuff, but he... We, we see him only two other times. This, this particular Herod, we see two more times in Scripture, in Luke here. Okay, the second time we see him um, is in Luke 13, uh, 32. And, and it says this, it says, He said to them, Go and tell that fox, speaking of Herod, Behold, I cast out demons and perform curses to the, today and tomorrow, and on the third day I shall be perfected. So, Herod seeks after him, and Jesus does not go and see him. And, and here Jesus, Herod's still seeking after him, and he says, go, that, go tell that fox. Which I cannot think of a nice illustration to replace that word fox with. So we're not going to use one. But he says, tell him, hey, these things are happening. I'm casting out demons. I'm performing. People are cured and all this. And on the third day, I'll be perfected. Boy, did Herod not know what was coming, right? Because at this point, he doesn't know what's coming. Jesus knew what was coming, though, wasn't it? Isn't that kind of interesting? Because the next time he sees him, Jesus is brought before him as a prisoner and does not say a thing. Here you have this man. Guess, guess why he was able to be brought before Herod, Jesus? Because Herod was in town for the Passover. He was religious. He went there. He listened to the preaching. He heard it, heard it, and heard it, and heard it, and never did it. Never changed anything in his life. Only did what was convenient. Yes, I hear the gospel. I'm a good Jew, in his opinion. And he just took what he wanted from the religion, but never obeyed it. Very religious man. Very devout. And yet, how many times do you see Jesus unwilling to answer somebody or even speak to him? Doesn't that seem out of character for our Lord? Like, but his, Jesus' assessment of this guy is, man, you heard John the Baptist all this time. Your heart was hard. You never responded. Jesus knew he was never going to listen to him. So why even bother? Isn't that scary to think that somebody can be in a place where God's like, I don't even going to talk to you. It's over. You've made that choice. Your heart is hardened. I mean, that's, that's freaky, right? And guess what? You know, you know why John was on this guy? Because he had this appearance of being holy and spiritual and I'm part of the Jewish leadership and I'm, you know, I'm devout. Even though I'm a sinner and I do whatever I want, he had a form and it was selling that he was a holy, godly, fearing man. And he even showed up to listen to John. He was even interested in things. He wanted to meet Jesus. Didn't mean he wanted anything to do with him. You know, some people, yeah, I want to know Jesus. I just don't want him to change anything I'm doing. Oh, I want to be seen with this guy. You know? 
it, it's a scary warning when you go through and you look at this man and, and you start to realize, you go, man, I can be that guy. God, yeah, I want to serve you. I want to do this. I want you in my life, but not in that area or not in this area, or not in that spot. You know, let, let me just take what I want from you, Lord, and we'll just leave the rest aside. I mean, right? And, and it's, it's, it's really scary to see in that sense, but also very sobering to see this man, Herod, and, and that situation and to look at it. And that's where you can kind of go, you know, what's a real Christian over a fake Christian? I think we have a clear example here. Or if you want to say, okay, being on mission over whatever the term is, right? This man was religious and he didn't have a relationship. He wasn't interested in a relationship. So much so that God didn't even want to speak to him. You know, he came and he, he was silent. He wanted to see him perform. It's interesting when we look at the scripture in our lives and we compare that and go, where is our heart? Are we letting, a, hey, God, I want to I be a good Christian, this and this, but am I holding back of what God's called me to do? Am I really, God, wherever you lead, I'm open. If you tell me to go with nothing, I will go. If you tell me to take two swords, I'll take two swords. You know, sometimes if, we, if you were called to, you know, ministry and you were told to take nothing with you, right, how many people would like, you know, to, to go to a Hawaii on a mission trip and be told not to have to take anything with you, including money, and God's going to provide. Woohoo! free vacation. I mean, right? That's what it kind of sounds like a little. <laughs> right? But at the same time, right, some people go, well, wait a minute, you've got to take stuff with you. Other times things cost you to go serve the Lord. Wait, I don't know if I can afford to do that. Put that money aside or have this money to help this person or, or those things. You know, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Going and making disciples, not going and making conversions, professions of faith, making disciples. What does that mean? Well, first you've got to be a disciple. And when you're a disciple, what example are you going to be to somebody and encourage them? Hey, look, this is how you serve the Lord. Not the action and, you know, I wake up at 8.45 and I do this and I do that or whatever your time is and, I, and you're 15 minutes in the Word and I like to, there's, there's, those are good suggestions. This is how I stay current. But what you need to do is stay current, however you do it. Whatever time of day, set time away, be in the Word of God. Right? Not, not a method but a who? How, are you, how do you share that you're a disciple? It's not a method. It's a relationship. I'm a disciple. How do you teach other people to be disciples? Well, I want you to have, you need to have a relationship with God. You know, and, and sometimes you get people, they're very energetic and stuff, and people hang on to those people. And those people leave or something happens in that person's life and their world's destroyed, and they're, they're done with church, they're done with a ministry, I can't believe, you know, I really trusted this person. Be careful of that. Make sure you're not pointing people to you, but to the Holy Spirit, to God. It's not my method, it's not the way I follow Christ. It's the relationship I have with Christ. It's that personal relationship I have with Christ. 
if you're going to be a disciple like me, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, and, and I think growing up in the church, growing up as, as a, a, you know, a believer in that sense, we can start to rely on our parents' relationship. All well, my parents took me to church, my parents this and this, and you see kids hit an area where they don't have to be accountable in there and they go sideways. Why? They don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So there's a warning for you younger ones in here. Make sure you're current in the Word of God. Go out and be examples. Continue to be examples. And so how do we continue to be example? Make disciples? God, how are you calling me? New season, new time? Are you still calling me to the same thing? Yeah, God's called me here. When he calls me somewhere else, I'll go. God called Pat somewhere else. He would have never thought it. I would have never thought it. That ain't going to happen. God called, he goes. Where is God calling you? And, and not to say every moment you sit down and question, hey, where are we going, where are we going? Like a little kid in the back of the car, are we there yet, are we there yet, where are we going, are we there yet? I just tell my kids, yes, we're there, get out. <laughs> not a very loving father, don't even slow down. But you know, you sit there and go, okay, God, what, what's going on, you know? Called, God, give me the power to do what you're calling me to do, because I don't got it. You know, it's kind of funny. It's like, can, I mean, I can think of all the excuses many times I've had with the Lord on areas of why I can't do what he's calling me to do or how it's not practical or I don't have enough information yet, you know, or, or just fear, man. If I go out and do that, people are going to eat me. You know, they showed this little video yesterday. I wish I was able to have a clip of it, but then I don't know, maybe we'd be getting Jumbotron style or something. I don't know. But it's, you know, what people think when they go out to share the gospel, go out fishing. And there's this little guy, he's on the ice, and he's got his little fishing pole in the hole there, and suddenly this video clip comes up, and this killer whale just goes, eats him, and it's gone. And that's what you think is going to happen when you go out and share your faith, right? Like, you're going to go out fishing, and somebody just eats you alive. It's not the case, you know? Second uh, Timothy 1.8, therefore, Paul speaking, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and his grace which has been given to us in Jesus Christ for the beginning of time. He's called us by what? For his, pur his purpose. Your call is not for your benefit. You know, I've been serving here for so long, and I don't really see any benefit to me here. Good. Sorry to tell you that. If God's called you to do something, it's not for primarily for your benefit. It does benefit you. It's going to bless you, but that's not it. It's called, you're called for his purposes, and his purposes will be good. And guess what else he calls you with? Did you see that? He calls us with, for his purposes and with with grace. You know what grace means? Grace means you're going to mess up and you're going to need God's grace. You may call to do something and you might totally mess it up and you're going to have to have God's grace. That's an awesome thing. So we sit there and we can sit there and we can argue with God and go, okay, God, well, you know, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not called. There's no way you're going to use me. But then we could go to, you know, what, Corinthians, right? Not all, not all are, you know, look at your calling brethren. Not many wise, not many 
you know, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the earth. Oh, guess what? No more excuses, right? I don't know. Have I ran out? You guys got any more excuses? If you do, pray about it, open the word, and God can tell you you're wrong. Because that's what he does with me. My clock's dead. And so we have these examples here. And we have, I don't know what you want to call it or whatever. If you want to put a new term on it because Christian has been so deluded or whatever. Are you going to live for Christ? What's your life? What's your goal? What's your purpose? Is it your job or anything? What has God called you to do? And are you in that calling? And are you in that calling with his power? And you're in that calling with confidence and authority? We have truth. You can go out with confidence. There's nothing else. Somebody brings up scientific facts and says, see, by these scientific facts, the Bible's wrong. Give scientific facts a little while and they change. Okay? You know what was the most shocking thing for me when I figured out something I figured out when my, my children were in like, you know, I don't know, third grade or whatever? I was told there was nine planets. I took tests on the nine planets. We bought little mobile things and we built stuff to show all these. They're not, they're not nine planets anymore. Oh. I don't know what happened. It was a scientific fact. They were certain of it. Now they have gas giants. I don't know what even a gas giant is. Doesn't sound good. Don't think I'd want to go there. But I mean, scientific facts, you know? I love one scientific fact. I remember loving with the youth, you know? And in, in 1905, a group of scientists, Surgeon General, they were all at, in Washington, and there was a big summit on debating if they were really concerned about having bathtubs in homes were going to cause outbreaks of diseases. And they were really concerned about this happening in New York because bathtubs were becoming popular compared to bathhouses. And obviously bathtubs are going to spread disease. You know, it was a scientific fact. We needed to vote a law into it where you couldn't have a bathtub in your home. Scientific facts 100 years ago. Wow, I think they disagree with that one now. Oops. So let's pray. Phil, if you come up, we're going to take communion this morning. Running a week late, we had a um, Phil out sick last week, and pray for Suzanne. She's out sick this week, and some sick people in my house. But um, take communion this week. Now that way, it's not tradition. We did it on a second Sunday instead of a first. <sighs> Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are our example. That you desire nothing more than us just to follow you that we can trust you, that we can lean on you, that you are gracious with us, and that you call us to do things that are beyond our ability, but you give us the power, the strength, and the grace to do those things, Father, for your glory, and we get to be part of it and see it. What an amazing thing. God, help us to have a, a pure heart before you, a true heart, open to your word, open just to your, your voice, God. And if there's an area where we are just blocking you out, where our heart is hard, we pray you reveal that to us, you'd speak to us, and you'd change it. God, examine our hearts. Keep us to where we are safe and usable, that we would be good disciples and good examples, Father, for this world, this lost world of you, that 
you in us, Father, and in this fellowship would be known. God, we thank you that, that you are doing what you've done, Father, that you've put us in a place where, where people see what you are doing, and it causes them to question, Father. What an awesome thing. Simply following you and how blessed that is, that we'd be known by you and your love, and that people would know here in Manteca there is a body, there are believers that love Jesus and share his love with others. We thank you for who you are.